is the Seahawkers podcast, episode 398. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers, and joining me, my good buddy, a Montana Seahawker, Adam Emmert. Now, well, overall, waking up every day at 12 is a glorious, glorious thing. Today, Brandon, yeah, might be one of the most glorious of all the days. Think about it, man. We're in the playoffs. We have a top five draft pick. Everything that could have possibly happened to go right for us, for the most part, as best as we could have ever hoped, it's all transpired. We're in the freaking playoffs, man. We have an actual chance to go down to Santa Clara and continue this season. They get through this game. It's wide open, baby. And Mother Nature might be on our side here. I'm fired up, man. I, I don't know how fired up you are, but I imagine it's probably even more. Everything is flowing our way. And yes, well, like you mentioned, maybe not everything just exactly perfectly. You know, could we have finished with a top three draft pick instead of a top five? Sure. Could the chips have fallen? So I don't know. Maybe we play the Vikings in the first round of the playoffs instead of the Niners. But who knows if that even matters? I mean, if you're going to go to the Super Bowl, you may as well go through one of the favorites and a division rival in the San Francisco 49ers. Especially if you can get it done, knock it out early. And then that leaves you a field of the Giants, Tampa, Philly, uh, the Vikings. I mean, you just start thinking about those teams and you're like, do any of those really scare me? And the answer is emphatically no. It, those are all very winnable contests, potentially. But you have to get through the juggernaut, the behemoth, the team that everybody has already penciled in to the Super Bowl this year in the Santa Clara Dirty Niners. On first blush, it's daunting, and especially after seeing the results of the first two games. But if you really sit down and think about it, I'm saying there's a chance. Well, and I think some people would say that Philly is a juggernaut within the NFC. They've kind of slowed here, I think, toward the second half of the season. But in terms of what the Seahawks struggle with, it is the Niners and the Philly offense that I, I feel like I would have to worry about the most with the Seahawks defense. And there's probably people listening going, why are you guys even talking about like there's any chance to win in this game? Just just be happy that we made it to the playoffs. And I say to you, no, I'm not just happy that we made it to the playoffs. Once we're in the playoffs, I change my expectations to the point where I want to win every game. Now, am I going to be satisfied with the season if the Seahawks were to lose one of these games, not make it to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I could be satisfied with it, but I want my team to win coming up on Saturday. And it's tough because you you got to manage expectations, right? But let's talk about the number one expectation we need to manage here. It's a new season. We're all 0-0. The Niners have done squat at this point. They've done just as much as we have here in the postseason. It's 0-0. It's a level playing field. And well, the Niners are trotting out a third-string rookie QB who, by all accounts, he's looked good. But the playoffs are a different animal. That's a whole nother thing. Not everybody is Tom Brady where they get drafted late and start crushing it. Are you trying to tell me that the Niners don't get to carry those 10 games of their winning streak into the playoffs and somehow use that again? Like that doesn't give them extra points to start out with against Seattle? If anything, I think it's the opposite, right? It gives them negative points because the higher those winning streaks get, the closer you are to being the Patriots to somebody's New York Giants. 
a team that has no chance, should has no business beating you. But as those games pile up, it gets harder and harder. The expectations grow higher and higher. And they're sky high down there in Santa Clara. And I can't believe that this team went out and handled their business against the Rams to give them this opportunity. And then to have Dan Campbell and all them boys up in Detroit go out and play their ass off and make this possible. Like big hats off to them. It's uh, it's all coming together to give us this opportunity. Plus, it's tough to beat somebody three times in a row. So good luck with that for the 49ers. But I don't want to just get to the Niners because we do have a great victory over the Rams, even though it was tight and a little ugly. It was awesome because it happened. It was awesome because it happened. It was awesome because the defense only allowed three points after the second half including keeping them scoreless in overtime, which was the most important thing. Quandre Diggs coming up with a big pick, showing off to Bobby, maybe avoiding a flag. Then we had uh, other officiating decisions go our way in the second half. It, It was very strange watching so many officiating decisions go our way in the second half after they went against us in the first half. I don't know if there was a, a, a switch that was somehow flipped on the officiating at halftime. It worked out in our favor. The other thing that I really enjoy about this is that we seemingly get to end Sean McVay's career. Like he loses two games in the same season to the Seahawks. And he's like, well, I guess I shouldn't coach in the NFL anymore. Oh gosh. What a coward that guy is, right? Like it seems as if he is literally walking away as soon as times get tough, right? They mortgage your entire well, future. That's how the saying goes. When the going gets tough, quit. Yeah, the tough actually get going. They, they leave, right? right? Yeah. That's, that's the phrase. No, it's kind of gross. And I don't know if you caught Pete's presser. I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday, but they asked him about, well, is it harder to win or is it harder to sustain it? And Pete goes on a long answer about what it means to win a Super Bowl and get on top and create culture and the difficulties in producing all of that. And then really... I think giving the screws to McVeigh. I think these were all veiled shots at McVeigh as he walks out the door. Cause Pete's like, yeah, that's all hard, but sustaining success. Now that, that right there is where it's really difficult to win forever. Uh, those are all just stri- shots straight across McVeigh's bow. Sure. I freaking loved it. Anybody can sell their soul for a team that can win one Super Bowl, but how about making it to, I don't know, 10 different playoff appearances over the course of 13 years. Uh, That's a little bit more challenging. Turns out that takes some skill and skill that McVay either has or doesn't have, but we're not going to find out because he's going to run along to the booth, which in a lot of ways, I can't blame him. Like on a business perspective, this is definitely the smartest move he could make. Because who's going to want you in the booth after you have three straight losing seasons because you're trying to stick with the team as it rebuilds. I think that you maybe could have been a little bit smarter this past off season after the Super Bowl to try and, and plan around those things. If you're just looking at it from that franchise perspective, but I'm perfectly happy with the Rams going back to being terrible and not having to face Sean McVay a couple times a year. I'm I'm a little bit upset, though, by the fact that another coach in the division and Cliff Kingsbury got fired. I enjoyed going up against him twice a year. And so we're likely going to have new coaches in half of this division 
and that brings a certain level of uncertainty that uh, it, it's going to it's going to be new. But hopefully, just considering the moves those two franchises have made in the past, maybe we can expect them to be more poor decisions to come. Well, we can only hope, right? And you're right. Half the coaches in the NFC West will have turned over. And you even heard Pete say a little something about that. Too. He's like, oh, you know, we've seen a lot of coaches come and go in the NFC West over the years. And it just all was a beautiful, beautiful dig uh, on the rest of the division. I, I loved it. And the thing is, Brandon, what if, what if the Niners actually do lose this Saturday? And what does that mean for Kyle's job security? This juggernaut of a team and all that. You're telling you're telling me that you're sure his job's totally safe? I don't know, man. That's a good point. I it probably isn't totally safe, especially if they lose in some kind of embarrassing fashion in Santa Clara. And it's not completely out of the question. We're we're going to get more into the the preview with the matchup. I'm still kind of basking in the glow, though, of beating the Rams and finishing with a winning record this season, nine and eight, and they get to do it with two wins over the Rams. Sure, I'm disappointed that we went 0-4 against the NFC South. Could you imagine? Could you imagine how much different the outlook for this team would be if they just beat, I don't know, half of those teams? Just one of them. They'd be in a totally different spot. Sure. It's crazy. I hear what you're saying, and it is awesome to finish the season, the regular season, because there's more season, with a uh, win over the Rams. Because screw those guys, number one. Secondly, I love that Bobby got cheered when he was there at the stadium before the game. You know, for the most part, it was all cheers. And anybody who says that the 12s don't know how to react to people because they're all over our ass about the way people reacted to Russ. Well, okay. You see the result of that situation, which had its own dynamic. And the 12s reaction to Bobby when he comes back and I had a totally different dynamic and they welcomed him with open arms and he did not have that same game that he had the first time against us. Thank <laughs> goodness. Cause he was a game wrecker in the first game. But the cool part about this victory to me for the Seahawks is that they won without using their formula completely. And basically that's been Gino Carius, and that might be Gino's worst game of the year. And they still come out victorious. I think that's a huge deal that the defense uh, picked things up. The special teams eventually came through and that it was in the run game came to life again. And I think that's a huge part of that victory. That's exciting to me. Yeah. When you say might be his worst game of his season, I can't think of a worse one. Shoot. When Maybe you the first 49ers matchup. Yeah. But when you start off, and I can at least with that first 49ers matchup, it's the second week of the season. You're playing with two rookie tackles against a strong defensive line. The team hasn't, you don't quite have that feeling for what the team can be, how the offense runs. It's very different toward the end of the season. I, I can't quite explain away the struggles as much at this point of the season as I could maybe in week two. So that's oh. part of the concern. But uh, at the same time, I, I, I suppose you could just explain it away like, well, you can have a bad game every once in a while. But I think there's other factors. But yeah. But the start by Gino, there's not many times where you're going to start off the game by throwing an interception the 
first pass of the game, that puts you in a hole. That's unlikely. And you talked about the circumstances in week two and not knowing your guys on offense as well, rookie tackles, yada, 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 right? All the things that are fresh to the quarterback. Yet for the majority of that first half of the season, that's when Gino was really tearing it up. And that was because there wasn't a lot of tape out on this offense with Gino at quarterback. Right. And so it gets a lot harder as you go down the stretch as now you put your full resume out there and the league knows what they're looking for with you. And so you see that adjustment by the league. And now it's time for a Waldron Gino adjustment going forward. And the thing is, is I think against the Niners, if he can avoid that really early turnover, like he had against the Rams, then he'll be just fine because it seemed like right after that pick, then every ball for the, at least the first half, you know, if not going into the second half, just so late on all the throws because he was double, triple checking mm-hmm. to be sure he's going to get the ball in there. And then it's too late. Right. So if he can keep out of that, you're probably going to be all right. And I hope that he can make that adjustment in his mind too, especially with it being this new season. And not having to worry about that because they really don't have anything to lose in this game. So what the heck? Go out there and be a chucker. And yeah, you want to keep your team in it. But at the same time, you have to be. You want to keep your team in it. (laughs) Yeah. And you want to be on point. And if you're off, then there's really not much chance anyway. So one of the beautiful things about this game in the way that it sets up. We keep getting off the Rams because I, I think know. we both I, 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 let's put a bow on the Rams game real quick. <laughs> was it was it the greatest game for from the offense, especially in the passing game? Kenneth Walker did come through. He looks decisive up the middle. The offensive line uh, played much better as a unit. I think Gabe Jackson actually had a pretty nice game and the Abe defense, Lucas was back and had a nice game. Yeah. And the defense, they really came to play. Now, with that said, is it against the Rams JV? Yep. It is. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get all of the Niners varsity players except for one. And so it's going to be a different challenge, no doubt about it. But it was about as complete of a team win as they've had all year. And you combine that with the running game kind of clicking for the last two, three weeks. There's some cause for optimism there. The running game is going to be critical in this game coming up against the Niners or Maybe it's not. Maybe Gino just has another amazing passing game and they don't have to rely on the run that much. If it's going to go that way, though, Gino's going to have to be pretty quick with getting rid of the football. And that's just it. So what are you going to do to mitigate this 49ers pass rush? Uh, Number one, they're going to have to be stout up the middle. Uh, Look, we're going to need the best game of the year from Jackson Blythe Lewis. Those guys play a great game. We're right in this. We're absolutely right in this. The edge guys are going to get theirs now and then. And so you just kind of concede that. But one of the ways you can help that is if Gino's just really decisive. And one of the beautiful things about this week with the Niners is all of the expectations and pressures are on them. There are none on the Seahawks. So while you have to play a mistake-free game, a mistake-free game against maybe the best team in the NFC right now to win. You also have the catfish factor. Just catfish it. Just throw the ball. Just, just what do you have to lose? Just be decisive, gun it in there. And if Gino does that, gets the ball out of his hands quickly, 
it really is going to help to neutralize that 49ers pass rush. And then because you're going to do that a lot because the weather's bad, a lot of short passes and all that, you can maybe set up for that one big chunk play where you break the back of the Niners in a low scoring affair. Cause that's what I think this will be. I think it's important to get that big chunk play early. One of the things that we saw going back to the Niners Raiders game, that was what happened. They, they got up on the Niners early and then it was, it, it seemed to even things out a little bit in that matchup because you would have thought going into that game between the Raiders and Niners that the Raiders would have no chance. Jared Stidham playing backup quarterback. They have a relatively bad defense. The Raiders, they haven't been great this year. And you would probably characterize the Seahawks defense that way too. But you get the big play early. You're able to keep it close then for that first half. And if this game is close in the second half, it can really go either way, I think. And if it comes down to a big turnover, especially with a rookie quarterback on the other side of the ball. This game, this last game against the Niners, the reason why I'm so even even a little bit hopeful, if you take out a turnover, if you take out a missed opportunity to turn the ball over, that last game against San Fran is a whole lot closer. And yeah, okay, it was in Seattle at Lumen Field. Now it's going to be in Frisco. Still, I, I think that, the, well, the playing surface could end up being a factor too with all the rain that they're getting this week. Yeah, it sounds like the weather's not going to be good. And I will say that I think that the Seahawks have a distinct advantage in a bad weather, high pressure playoff game where they have none of the pressure. They don't have any of the pressure. It's all on the Santa Clara team. And I love that we have a coach that's wired perfectly for that type of game because the weather balances out a little bit the talent discrepancy between the two teams. And then it's just a, right. a rock fight. And in that sort of game where you just have to take care of the ball, play a little bit more conservative, field position, be smart that way, that's Pete Carroll ball. And I think that sets up really nicely for the Seahawks in comparison to the Santa Clara team where I don't have that same faith in Kyle Shanahan. I mean, I've watched teams that he has coached or been a part of coaching give up, I don't know, leads in a big pressure game of that, you know, maybe rhyme with Shmoney Nate to tree. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Famously as the offensive coordinator of the Falcons and well, even giving it up in the Super Bowl when they were up on the Chiefs. Exactly. Exactly. So it's going to be fun. And shoot, even if it is all Niners and all one way and all that stuff, like you said, hard not to be satisfied with the season and the effort that these men have put forth. It's it's really incredible. And so, yeah, it's kind of exciting to have this be your position to be the hunter rather than the hunted. And the Niners aren't great when they're in that position. And if you look back in the history of the Seahawks franchise, you go back to maybe 2012 when Russell Wilson's rookie season, you go back to when they sneak into the playoffs with a losing record at seven, nine season and they end up playing the new Orleans saints. Tell me this does not feel very similar to, Think back to the feelings that you had 
getting in the playoffs as a seven and nine football team. Charlie Whitehurst gets you the win over the Rams to send you to the postseason. Right. Matt Hasselbeck's coming back off of injury and you're playing the defending Super Bowl champions. And by the fact that they're a wild card, they were the top wild card, but you got the home game and they had to come here. And everybody, everybody wrote off the Seattle Seahawks going into that game. Nobody thought they were going to win. And Pete Carroll got that team loose and believing that they could get the job done against the defending Super Bowl champions. For sure. This season, I heard Brock and Salk talk about this a little bit on their show the other day. Like what what former Seahawks season, you know, has these vibes, right? Mm. And I think Brock brought up the 2011 year. And I think it's kind of a, a mesh of 2011 and 2010, right? It's the playoff end of the 2010 season. And it's the regular season of 2011, even though they missed the playoffs. T-Jack is your starter playing through the torn pack kind of you see a bunch of young dudes that are just there now and all of a sudden they're emerging and you're like oh maybe there's something here and look at how competitive they are in that sort of thing only this group is getting a little better play out of Geno and then they managed to get into that playoff game with a winning record on top of all that so it's got it is it's very similar to that first rebuild that Pete Carroll and John Schneider orchestrated And you see them bringing it to life the second time around. And the kind of cool part about it is since they're not cleaning up the mess of the last guy, this is going a lot quicker and a lot easier because they already have a bunch of pieces in place. They like now it's just a matter of changing a a few around there. And part of that was jettisoning Russ and moving to Gino. Yeah. Part of it was getting rid of Bobby too, which I'd I'd be happy if he still stuck around, but. Don't bring me down, Bruce. But I'm not going to try and bring you down because there are some cool stories in terms of veterans getting their first opportunity at the playoffs, getting a new opportunity. I love the Bruce Irvin story going into this game. The fact that he's the one guy left from that 2012 team that gets to be a part of this rebuild and, and to take this team into the playoffs in this defense. I was surprised to find that Shelby Harris has never played a playoff game because he started off his career with the Oakland Raiders. He went to Denver after they had had their winning seasons. And so he's only known teams with losing records playing in Denver, now getting an opportunity to start in the playoffs. Yeah, it's really cool. And you've heard... Nick Ballore talked about it in his presser this last week about, you know, how special it really is because he went a number of years before he finally got to the Seahawks and started having that success. And then he said, you know, once you're here and you start to feel it on the regular, all of a sudden now that is the norm, right? And you don't even really think about it. And I can't imagine the thrill for somebody like Shelby Harris to finally sneak in in Heck, I hope he's around next year. He's been a good contributor to be a part of really only an improved unit that may even have better odds of going even further. But like I said, then again, you get past this Niners team, who knows? Like You really could sell me on about anything. I guess the big concern going into the playoffs, and it's the, this is why it bothers me that there were so many people that... Coming out of this week, and yes, I know I you said not to bring you down, 
But doesn't it bring you down a little bit when you hear, uh, oh, well, the Seahawks got in, but I, I much would have rather seen the Lions get in the playoffs. Well, why would you rather see the Lions over the Seahawks? The Lions had the number 32 ranked defense in the entire NFL. Sure, yeah, they put up some points on offense. So did the Seahawks. And you think that the Lions have any better chance at beating the Niners than the Seahawks do and a Pete Carroll team that knows the 49ers as well as he does? A a coach who has never lost to the 49ers in the postseason? And he takes his matchups with his former teams so seriously just to hear him talk about and, And he would, again, Pete's good at dropping these little hints of, of what it means to him to face off against teams like the Jets a couple weeks ago, a a team that let him go. Uh, And obviously the Niners were a team that let him go after he was the defensive coordinator there in the mid-90s. Minnesota, just whenever those matchups present themselves, he always seems to have just a little bit extra. And I don't know, I, I suppose it's just that competitive nature of Pete. Yeah, for sure. They asked him, you know, about the teams that he likes to prove wrong and things like that. And he's like, yeah, especially the ones who fire me. Right. I love that. That that was really fun. Uh, And you're not wrong. He does bring out a little extra juice. And also I think this team, as much as they get up there and they're all like, no, no, we totally expected this. We knew what we had the building. (laughs) Yada, 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 yada. Okay. Then like, I'm sure you were confident, but come on now. Yeah. Like they all have to be just so geeked for this opportunity that's coming up and like I said with the weather being the way that it is and a rookie seventh round quarterback that now has to produce in the playoffs on a loaded roster because you know if he doesn't produce that's everybody's just gonna point the finger at him and he may never see another starting gig again right they'll go back to Garoppolo next year or whatever the hell it is that they're gonna try to magically conjure up at the quarterback position yeah, I, I think this game, because he's not a downfield thrower to begin with, a guy who throws like at the sticks and under for the majority of his throws, you can sit on defense on all those shorter routes. I, I would much rather they play him a much more like they played Baker in this last game. They really played up on all the receivers a lot more than they've had in the past and really just shut down everything in the intermediate and underneath stuff. And they almost got beat on a deep one, but Quandre came and erased it. But a guy like Purdy in the weather, he's definitely going to have to be in that area of the field, right? That intermediate to short stuff. So at that point, that makes the Seahawks defense a lot more plausible in terms of being able to stop the run because you have your guys up in the box. You can actually, you know, have your corners out there to help set the edge because to me, that's where it is for the Niners. You got to keep that lateral run game in check, whether that's Debo on the fly sweeps or McCaffrey on the tosses, things like that. You can do that. You're going to have a fighting chance. The big concern with the 49ers offense and and why I think Purdy has been so uh, efficient at running it is because of the talent that they have on offense. You can just dump the ball off to a guy like Debo Samuel, two to three yards downfield and he's able to make guys miss. Like You have to bring everybody to make those tackles, whether it's Debo, whether it's George Kittle, and, and even Christian McCaffrey, who has managed to stay healthy 
through this second half of the season. So he's an elite player when he is able to stay healthy. And, and that particular trio of guys, and then, yeah, you add in guys like Ayuk and and some of their other pieces that they have on offense. But to me, it's it's those three guys that make the job of Purdy so easy. Oh, for sure. And this entire 49ers team really relies on yards after catch, right? It's all get it to your playmakers, let them do all the hard work, that sort of thing, which is great when you have a guy like Brock Purdy pulling the strings at the moment. It really does make him look good. The beauty is, is that sloppy fields, they negate that advantage. Like if you're a offense that really thrives on yards after the catch, having a sloppy field is about the worst thing that you can have. It's like putting a greatest show on turf in those sort of conditions. It right. really does slow that track meet down and evens out the difference between personnel defensively for the Seahawks and the Niners. So I think that's huge. And then you conversely, you look at the Seahawks offense. It very much is not predicated on run after the catch yards. It's really a lot more be to your spot on time, block it up and Gina will find you. And that sort of timing offense, I think can produce better in these sort of conditions. Yeah, you still have those big playmakers on defense, though, that you have to concern yourself with. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, the guys who are all pros, all pro list just came out. And on the back end, you got Hafunga, who's having an, an excellent year, too. So I struggled to figure out where they're really going to be able to find those weak points to be. I, you, you, I think you have to hope for a close score because I... I guess I just don't see it being a shootout type game like it was down in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, especially if the, the field's sloppy. And especially with two division rivals meeting up for the third time in just this one season. I think that's a huge deal. And that usually lends itself to rock fights of games because you just know everybody so well. So I, I kind of see this as a 20 to 17, 17, 14 kind of game. I'm just trying to stay in the mindset and I'm, I guess it's easy to stay in that mindset when I see how loose they, they put the camera uh, social media and you, you see it coming out on the Seahawks Twitter account and through Facebook and that sort of thing. Just how loose it seems like guys like Gino and Pete are this week. And mm-hmm. I, that's a, a big product of the type of culture that, that Pete is building and it's fun to see that come out, that the players are remaining loose going into the playoffs, because I, I also think that that can be an advantage. You talked about that a little bit earlier, the pressure that comes with being one of the favorite teams in the Niners and and the pressure that is potentially on them if they were to lose this game. I, I know I've seen some of the memes out on social media of, you know, what 49ers fans will look like if their team loses this game. And it's, you know, the troll with like the, the bloodshot red eyes. And then sure. what what Seahawks fans will look like if their team loses this game and it's like, you know, just leaning back and enjoying it. It is. It is nice. It's nice to be in this position where you don't always get to be. And I'm definitely going to enjoy it. And then you think about, I mean, Purdy's played, what, five, six games now? The six? I think it's six. Brock took over full time, I think, in that game against the Dolphins. That was the first December game. So he's played three. He's played six regular season games now. And he did play a little bit against the Chiefs, but um, 
Yeah, it's it's really six starts for Brock. Well, there you go. Six good starts in a row. You're telling me that guy's never going to have a clunker? It, it, the, the streak has to end at some point. It does. It really does. Sure, yeah. The and, and when you look at his quarterback rating, it was that first game that he struggled the most with, which wasn't really that bad of a game against the Dolphins. 88.8 quarterback rating. And since then, it's been all in the hundreds, except for the Raiders game where it was 95. You know, he threw one pick in that game, but uh, still a, a relatively good day, you know, with 63% passing. And that was going up against Max Crosby on the opposite side of the line with the Raiders. So if the Seahawks, can they find a way to get some pressure on Purdy this time? The last time these two teams faced, it was two blitzes from the Seahawks. Now, part of that could be strategic because facing the Niners, you may not want to blitz with all those weapons that they have and their ability to break tackles. But again, that could change if the weather's a little bit different. Maybe you do send a blitz a little bit more often because you don't have that concern of some of those breakaway type plays when he's dumping it off to his, his hot route. And, you know, maybe the football's a little bit slippery too. I just think with the position the Seahawks are in coming into this game, you are playing with house money. So why not? Why not heat up the seventh round rookie and see if he holds up under the pressures of a playoff game yeah. with guys just double a gapping him every other play and running crazy stunts and dropping weird coverages and, and all that stuff and play up, play up on everything. If they do get one over the top on you, fine fine. Then they just scored a little quicker. So now you have a little more time to go ahead and go back and try to regroup. They did that anyway. The last matchup, but Kittle had a couple big touchdown catches where they and got he probably past the defense. Will too. Yeah. He probably will have another big game. So don't because, be scared of it because who knows? It could probably, it may just happen anyway. Right. So if it's going to happen anyway, why don't you take away all the stuff that happens in between mm -hmm. by blitz and Purdy, heating them up, making it tough for him to run the football. That's the way that I would go about it. I, I would get ultra aggressive in this game in terms of defensively speaking. Offensively, yeah, I'd do my damnedest to try to get that running game going. You know, lots of extra Kerhan time out there, more below, please, all that stuff. Just get in the eye. And if you can jelly it, just do it. Just, just three yards, two yards. And really the big thing for them offensively is third down conversions. And I think that that all starts with what happens on first down for them. If they can be, you know, at least two plus yards on first down, each, each and every you know set of downs, they're going to be in good shape. And conversely, if you can do the opposite to the Niners, because the way that the uh, Brock Purdy is successful is third and six and under. Yeah. Make him try to convert a third and 12 in the rain. Let's see it. It's going to be hard. It, it, sure, but this defense isn't that great at uh, stopping some of those plays that you would expect to, you know, because uh, they seem to be very vulnerable to give up plays. You know, maybe third and eight is kind of the sweet spot for this defense to be in. Well, if you're playing up and you're not terrified of giving up the, the deep ball, yeah. right, then you're not as vulnerable to the give up plays. That's true. Because you're there to rally to the ball carrier yeah. on the stupid draw. So 
Yeah, I think I think that's the key to me. And I did see them play that way against the Rams. So I know they can do it. I know schematically that they can do it. It's in the playbook defensively. And I'd like to see more of uh, uh, Alexander Johnson out there. I like the way that he looked at linebacker 34 with the dreads. I, I had no idea he was on the team. I had no idea he was on the active <laughs> roster. I didn't have I had no idea he was going to get some playing time. I had no idea he's a former Bronco and played a bunch of snaps. Yeah. But he's good in the run game, man. I like the way that he fit things up and strong. And Cody had a good game. Cody Barton in this past game. I, I wonder if middle linebacker is just more the natural position for Barton. It could be. It could be. Because that that play down near the goal line or in the red zone that right after the interception. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It was on the very first drive by the Rams where it was the toss out to the back uh, on the perimeter there. And Cody reads it, runs it down and makes a touchdown saving tackle. He had to read that really early and he did. And yeah. I thought that was, I, I don't love the scheme, uh, the, the way that that's supposed to work, but I get it. Yeah, I Sometimes don't love that it was right Cody that had to run that down, right? Yeah. I didn't think he was going to get there. I didn't either. But he saw it so early. I mean, he was shot out of a cannon. Yeah. Um, I think Sanchez even said, like, he jumped the snap count, but to go backwards. And you don't often see that. And that's a good point. So a good game by him. We saw Nuosu have an incredible game with six pressures. If he can do that against McGlinchey. Uh, on the the you know the Niners right tackle, that would be huge. Bruce can have another one and a half sack game. Daryl Taylor, if he can, if you can get into situations where Daryl Taylor is rushing the quarterback, he's he's been solid this second half of the season. So hopefully they get in positions to where they can they can use guys like that. And I think a part of that does come from having linebackers that are are able to to make tackles and and keep some of those breakout runs from happening. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about Daryl Taylor and him being a big part of this game and you know how much he's come on and I, I'm not saying that he hasn't. He has. I just don't know that in this matchup how often Daryl Taylor is going to be on the field. I think because of his skill set, he's much better in pass only situations. And that's just not something the Niners are forced into often. Now, if they're they're able to do that, then I think you'll see him on the third and longs and things like that. So to me, it's not just I, obviously Nuosu is a key. Like he's got to be uh, disruptive or at least pulling double, triple teams, right, to make it easy on the other guys. Now, the secondary pass rusher that I think really needs to have a huge game is Mafe. He has the size. He plays the run pretty well. And you see him come on here a little bit in his pass rush. He had a sack in the last game or half sack. And I think that's the guy that I'm looking for defensively if it's going to be a marker of the Seahawks having a good Saturday. I was thinking you'd say Shelby Harris. And a part of that with that being his first playoff game, maybe a little added motivation and you know just a little more fired up. And especially, I think... With the Niners offensive line, the interior is more of the weakness than guys like Trent Williams on the left side. Hey, I take a vintage Shelby Harris game where he maybe has a sack and a half and three batted down passes. That'd be great. I'd take that in a heartbeat. 
Now, there's also part of me that thinks that this game could go poorly. It could go poorly, especially if oh, yeah. if Gino is playing loose with it, not getting it into those tight windows like we've seen him try and make those throws. And, and with him and DK just not quite being on that same page, it, it seems like it's mostly him with DK that he, he tries to fit it in. And Gino thinks that DK is going to do one thing and and DK doesn't do it. <laughs> And that's what leads to some of these throws where he wants DK to stop or he wants him to jump. And yeah, it's just it's those little micro moments and miscommunications. And I don't even know if they're miscommunications they are just Gino thinking something's going to happen and it doesn't. Yeah, he does have a tendency to force it to DK. And I get that. I mean, he's a big time playmaker in this offense, if not the biggest of all of the playmakers. but. You know, as far as this going poorly, yeah. In fact, that's far more likely as all the 49ers fans who have been listening to this up to this point, yelling delusional Seahawks fans at the at their phone or their headphones. Like, yeah, no, those, that was some Pollyanna pie in the sky stuff. We talked about the positives. But if we're going to be very realistic about this game, it's more likely that this goes poorly than it goes well. It's like 70-30. But 30's not nothing. That's... <laughs> That's how much of a chance I gave Drew Locke to be a franchise guy at the uh, beginning of this year. I just put it on the wrong quarterback, and you see that it it can happen. You could prove him wrong. I just think the weather aspect of this is just so huge. Yeah. I, I just, that's, if it wasn't going to be like that, it was going to be a, a, a nice, beautiful California day, I'd probably take it back to like, you know, 85-15. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere in there. But because of that, and just third matchup of the year, and uh, Seahawks kind of rolling just a little bit, and the Niners haven't rolled like a kind of a little too long. They just, teams have clunkers. 10 straight wins. I think it was a 10 straight victory. Uh, because, what season was it where they started out with 10 straight was wins? Was it last oh. year? No, no, I think no, it was a couple years ago because were, it yeah. was the wasn't it the Clowney game where they had those ten straight wins and Clowney came in and just destroyed it and we ended up ruining maybe maybe that wasn't the ten win season but I, maybe maybe I just remember that as a Clowney breakout game yeah, and then was immediately injured after that and then right right wasn't yeah oh no it wasn't it wasn't uh, ten straight wins it was eight straight wins. And it was the Seahawks in overtime getting the win. It was back in 2019. And it was the clowny game because he had the the fumble return for the touchdown in that game. Right, right. Okay. So you were on it. You remembered correctly. Look at me. I'm glad the Googles had your back on that. Yeah. So like, it, this is our opportunity to end another one of San Francisco's big winning streaks. That's fun. Yep. And... The uh, bonus of it being winner go home mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to be fun no matter what. And well, I, it, I won't it's say cool. no matter what, uh, like if it's a blowout, that's not going to be fun. Uh, if it's, you know, if it's the Seahawks that get blown out, I mean, we made it. We had a winning record. No, I, I'm just saying it won't be fun in that moment because it's a rival and it would be a playoff yeah. loss, but yeah. I could get past it a lot quicker. Whereas 
if you hand the Niners a loss, they're going to be stewing on it all offseason. And and some of them are probably going to be calling for Shanahan's job. So, look, this is going to be an offensive line Ken Walker kind of game. I'm excited for that guy, too. Man, going over a thousand yeah. yards in his rookie season. Not even starting all the games. Not even starting all the games. And just you know, giving credit to the offensive line. And speaking of the offensive line, having the rookie tackles that have performed very well, um, Lucas making the all-pro rookie team, whatever organization puts that out. It was Abe Lucas and Tariq Woolen. I don't know why Walker didn't make it on there. Like, what other rookie running back are you going to put on there? I didn't see it. So I I just saw the two players on the Seahawks who made it. I'm going to have to track it down and find out which organization gave a different running back other than Walker, the rookie title. They probably probably gave it to Brees Hall just because he's a jet. Yeah, probably. I remember when the last time we had a rookie of the year candidate, this, this one happened to be on offense who got snubbed for a guy that played out on the East coast. That was supposedly way better. Now that guy that won that award is on TV making dirty jokes every chance that he can get. (laughs) Uh, in RG three. So I look, I think that we have both the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year on this team. And it's going to be a shame when they don't receive it because media. Oh, of course I, I found out that it was, uh, it was PFF. And of course it's PFF because they go off of their grading system and they recognize, even though Ken Walker and Damian Pierce broke more tackles and had more yards, Tyler Algier of the Atlanta Falcons graded out more highly, and so he makes their list. Cool. Shares a backfield with a wide receiver, but I gotcha. Yeah. Well, thanks to PFF, I guess, for giving it to a, a couple of our rookies. Like, they could have completely stoned us, and uh, because why not? They've historically not given our... our Offensive linemen, good grades anyway. So to see that a Seahawks offensive lineman actually made it, that's pretty strong. It's pretty strong. They do seem to be extra hard on our particular offensive linemen. That's fine. Whatever. Like PFF is one of those things where like, if you're trying to figure out things about a player, you can go there. You can see what they have graded. You can compare that to the eye test. You compare that to some other organizations and some of the numbers and metrics that they come up with. It's a data point and it's a good one, but it's certainly not the end all be all. Well, congrats to that pair. Congrats to our rookies in general who played a heck of a season. Congrats. Hey, to our sole all pro Adam, Jason Myers. Yeah. Making the all pro team. It's kind of funny after he pushed everything right. And then damn near lost the game, but he won the game. That's the important thing. Jason Myers won that game. He did. Yeah. Jay Money gets it done, and we're going to need him. Going to need him this Saturday. Now, this last week, you were all up on the scheduling conspiracy of the Lions and the Seahawks and all that. Oh, yeah. Any, uh, which turned out to be totally false, but that's cool. Uh, I mean. Any big conspiracies this week, Brandon, it, with your tinfoil hat? Well, the thing is, this week, the biggest choice that the NFL could make with the scheduling was when to schedule teams over the weekend. And I don't know, I suppose putting the Seahawks and Niners first, I, I don't know how to take that as a, an advantage or a disadvantage either way. 
So I, I don't know why you're pointing this out as if I'm somehow wrong about how things turned out. No, it was it was me and the other 12s who put the pressure on the league and the Lions saying that, well, obviously the Lions, they're going to be put in a, a point of disadvantage that they're not going to get it done. And you saw them interviewed after the game. They took it personally, whether it was the, the media counting them out or whether it was our own Seahawks fan base that was counting them out against the Packers. No, they they not only wanted to win that game to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they wanted to prove us wrong who had doubted them all week. So just so I have this straight, you are taking the position that it was your uh, conspiracy theory yeah. that then reverse psychologied the Lions into playing hard even though the Seahawks had eliminated them with a win over the Rams. Not only that, but it reverse psychology, the refs who were supposed to call the game much like they did in the first half of that Ram Seahawks game. And then hmm. we got, they knew that we were onto them by halftime because we were pointing out all those moments to where they were, they're calling it very loosely against the Rams and tight against the Seahawks. And uh, everybody could see that. So then the switch flipped in the second half and then the motivation for the Lions. Yeah, I'm doubling down. This is exactly how I planned it. And I'm glad that it was our pressure that made this work out for our Seahawks. See, you would think that I hate this, but I actually love this because you're taking a page right out of my playbook. Screw that. I'm doubling down. It was because of you. Yes, I love it. Like, Go all in. I think we should also we didn't really hit on the uh, roughing the kicker call. Uh, against Dixon, a, a lot of comments. The the punter like, catching the defensive lineman call, right? It, yes, exactly. A lot of people. Well, you know the that play call and that, or that flag and bullshit. Catfish. That's why you you guys won and blah 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 blah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a terrible call. It was a god awful call. Not only did he just like did Dixon have both feet on the ground and catch the lineman and all that, but he was pushed. He was pushed into the guy and right. was, he was falling backwards and they got shoved further backwards and he could do nothing about it. He was, yes, he was falling backwards and, and Dixon, I think, you know, credit to him for catching that opportunity or seizing the opportunity to catch the guy on the way down and to get the, the running into the kicker call. It was, uh, it was good by him. I'm glad that DK didn't get the call for the, for the eye jab. Uh, on Ramsey mm -hmm. after he hit Gino on the sideline. And I was glad we didn't get the taunting call as, <laughs> as Quandre was showing off the football to Bobby Wagner over on the sideline. Super lucky with all of that. Super unlucky with Taylor Rapp just taking a free shot at Tyler Lockett towards the end of the first half yeah. and not getting called for it. Like that's, that's defenseless receiver nine times out of 10, just because of the optics. Taylor Rapp got his karma uh, back, though, trying to jam his head into DK's abs in the second half and finding out that that's not a good idea. I mean, he's seen the pictures, right? Like, if you're going to target anywhere on DK's body, I would think the abs would be the one place that you would want to avoid. It's like the hardest I, part the, on DK. <laughs> like, I would go for a, a helmet shot over an ab shot. Yeah, his whole body is something you want to avoid. No, thank you. Yeah. But uh, good to see that Taylor got back up after that and, and was able to come back and play because, yeah, you yes. don't want to 
see anybody go no, out. I don't that, want but, him to have a brain injury. No, definitely not, like, not. Or not be able to play anymore, like Gus Farratt when he ran into a brick wall that was an actual brick wall. Well, I think it was even a padded brick wall. It was a padded brick wall. So probably less padding on DK's abs. <laughs> I think I think the bat suit offers zero padding. Well, I am looking forward to this game against the Niners, but there's still some more to talk about. What do you say we get to the second half of the show? I'm in. I don't know if you know this, Adam, but uh, coming up here on Saturday, must win game, must win game in Santa Clara. Is it uh win or go home? I think so. I think that's wow. what makes it a must win. That's that's amazing. I just uh, I heard it a lot in the game against the Rams. And so I wanted to make sure that we continue to let people know that it is a must win game. It's a must win game for Seattle. They really need this one. You know, there's guys that maybe don't get the hint when it comes to must-win games, and that's why the NFC West coach apocalypse is upon us with uh, McVay and Kingsbury. I think they're both gone. For sure, Kingsbury, obviously. Yeah. Just with the way that McVay is talking about things, though, I think we can be pretty sure that uh, which way that's going. Yeah, because I figured this was a good time to do our NFC West roundup that we haven't done for a long time and uh, take some joy. Except we and pretty get... much talked to NFC West the entire first half of the show because we just got done playing the Rams. We're about to play the Niners and we talked about Kingsbury being fired already. So I, I feel like we we have I know. covered it fairly well. I know, but I wanted to dance on the graves of Sean McVay <laughs> and Kingsbury just a little bit more. It feels good. Just Outlast a little another bit one more. of those jerk offs. Can we get all the frat boys out of the division this year? I don't know. When you mentioned it in the first half, I've been thinking about it now as far as uh, what way would be the easiest and best way to get Shanahan fired. Mm -hmm. But it's also antithetical to how I want this game to go because if they get out to a 20-plus point lead and then they fail in the second half, and implode you know, that would that would tie in with his past history and i think it would lend itself more toward him being fired than if they just went and got a blowout uh straight out of the gate well there you go so if the seahawks fall ahead big early you have some hope that they can come back and end kyle shanahan's tenure in santa clara yeah i also like thinking of it as falling ahead uh big like you said that um because that's just that's assuming that they're just waiting to come back rather than falling behind. They're falling ahead. Right. They're just, uh, they're baiting them. That's what, that's what's happening there. But yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting with those guys gone because I think I wanted to put my prediction out there, Brandon, the next coach for the Arizona Cardinals is Harbaugh. Nice. I, it just makes so all the sense. I wouldn't want to go to, to Denver Right, all the expectations and Russ not playing well. Yeah, though he's had a little bit of a bounce back. I know Kyler is a mystery, but shoot, he got Kaepernick all the way to a Super Bowl. He could get Kyler Murray, pouty ass Kyler Murray, to a Super Bowl probably. I kind of like the idea of him going to the Colts. Really, I, I would never go to the Colts right well, now. Well, just because he was a quarterback for the Colts and you know, yeah. just kind of you know make his career circular right by heading back to Michigan and then going back to Indy sure yeah 
Okay. It just would be interesting because I wonder if I'd hate Harbaugh as much if he ended up in Arizona. Because once he left, uh, the Niners did not hate Harbaugh nearly as much. You still hated Bruce Arians when he went to Tampa. I know. So I know. I think you'd find a way to reinvigorate your sports hatred toward Harbaugh. I wonder with McVeigh when he's in the booth if I'm going to hate him like I still do Arians. Well, you'll have to listen to him, so that'll make it easier to hate him. What if what if when he's not the coach of the Rams and he's just doing commentary is actually okay and a little bit funny? What <laughs> what what if that works? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe or he just starts I... uh, sucking down lozenges and his voice doesn't sound quite so grating because they're able to process the audio on the fly. Right. Uh, Need some auto-tune. That might fix it. Then he might be okay. I don't know. I just wanted to dance on their graves a little bit more. It's fun. This is a, a fun season that way. I'm enjoying the confidence of Seahawks fans. Like, irrational confidence going into this game. I, I've yeah. seen quite a bit of it, especially when... Now, maybe amongst each other, like we're, uh, we have our hesitancy as to how this game might go against the Niners. But the fact that we're being overly confident, particularly around Niners fans, that makes me happy. Absolutely. Look, when you've got nothing to lose, you fake it till you make it. So, yeah, we're winning this game. All the, I, you heard me rationalize every possible way that this could be a basically close game for the Seahawks. When it has no business being one, but you and I, Brandon, we went through it. We found answers. We we found ways to be like, but you know, but you know the, the weather. <laughs> well, and the other reason why I really like it is because you know that it just pisses Niners fans off to no end yeah. to to think that we have some sort of confidence going into this game, and and then we can have fun with that all week long, and then say it goes the Niners' way after this week, and we just go well. That's the way everybody thought it was going to go. So no big whoop. And we're still picking five ass. Catfish! Okay. <laughs> right. I don't know who put the the meme up in uh, the ring of honor this morning, but uh, basically it was Seahawk fan talking Catfish! and then uh Niner fan being like, yeah, but we're going to beat you. And then the next frame was Seahawks fan talking Catfish! Niner fan shooting him down. And then the next frame is, uh, you know, Niner fan talking Catfish! and the Seahawks uh fan just looks up at him and says, hey, we're still picking number five. <laughs> and then the Niner fan's like, will you stop having fun? Quit having fun. I liked it. Football's fun. Pete Carroll has made this year this fun. Year. Geno Smith has made this year fun. All the rookies. Our members of the flock have made this year fun. We should welcome some of our new members of the flock. We got some new ones after a uh, must-win game against the Rams. <laughs> We've got at least one new member of the flock, I believe. Or, or it could be a renewal. But okay. I'm going to go through the list, and we're going to start out with someone who I know has been with for years and years. Well, before we get there, of course we have to thank our executive producers, those folks that have been with us time and time again. I was about to pull the e-brake on, on that train there for a second. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Whoa, whoa, executive producers. Don't yeah. forget, don't, don't pass that up. That's exactly right. Yeah. DCH, Dustin Mock, Brian Shaw, and Rebecca Christensen. I, I would not have hit the first name. I tell you that before. Yeah. You, you don't need the e-break. It's just, it's in my mind already. It's true. You don't need me. I understand. <laughs> I don't need you for that. I, I I do. I need you for some other things. No, though. no, you don't need me. It's fine. I, I took the hint. It's cool. We're good. 
You need our executive producers, though. Well, Jason Kyler Yano has been with us long enough. He could probably just fill in for you if uh, <laughs> if you didn't think you were necessary on the show. Fill in. That'd probably be an upgrade. <laughs> Jason comes in at twelve twelve. says, hey, fellas. I probably showed up as a new subscriber this month because I switched over from an annual to a monthly 12-12 flocker. Daycare expenses are real, and they're probably almost yeah. as painful as winning the Super Bowl only to lose 12 games the following season. Suck it, Rams. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to give a long overdue kudos to all the new shows. I'm apparently the type of person that's a bit wary of change and wasn't sure about four new shows, but I find myself really looking forward to each one every day. And in, I don't think has been talked about enough, is how great Phil's analysis of our next opponents has been. They've been really enjoyable and of impeccably high quality to me, and the dad joke spirit of the what-if themes are right up my alley. Also, screw that dude who crapped on the whammy. Whammy the catfishing catfish out of that catfishing whammies. <laughs> wham, wham, kablam fish. Yeah. Also curious and hoping for some analysis in the future. How have our non-uncle tight ends been at run blocking? Thanks, fellas. Aka, Aka Mashai, Omadeto. Good luck with that one. <laughs> from Jason. <laughs> what up, Jason? Uh, good to hear from you, bud. Aka Mashai, Omadeto? Aye, you got it. There. Nailed it. I don't know what language that's supposed to be, but... Aka Mashite, Omadeto. Okay. There is, we go. That, is that possibly Japanese? I'm going to run it through Google Translate. Okay. All right. Well, we'll so see, I, what, so see if Jason was uh, subtly tro- uh, subtly trolling us there. But a uh, couple things oh, in there, is. man. Yeah, it's it's uh, the Japanese greeting for the beginning of the new year. Mm. Well, likewise, Jason. But one thing that I do think is hilarious, and we, I can't believe we didn't touch on it more than we have, is um, Sean McVay, the losingest coach ever. After winning a Super Bowl. That's pathetic. They're the worst defending champs to ever defending champ. That's how bad the Rams were this year. Catfish them. I hope they enjoyed this craptastic season. Oh my gosh. Well, that was one of the fun things about being able to beat them twice. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the year, would you trade your history of beating the 49ers? just to beat down the former Super Bowl champ and send them to the losingest season of any Super Bowl champ, I would have made that trade. I, I would Probably. have taken two regular season losses to the 49ers just to beat the Rams twice, just to be able to hand them that title. I could totally see that, man. I, I would support that all the way, too, if you if that was the deal that you made with the devil. Because it does feel damn good. There's no doubt about that. I hate that team. Oh my gosh, I hate that. Team. And we still get to get in the playoffs and have a shot at beating the Niners so we can have our, our at least one win over them as we have in many, many seasons before. And we still get to pick number five. And we still get to pick number five. How can the, how can anybody be mad about this year? I don't know. I don't know. But Jason also asked about non-uncle blocking tight ends. Yeah. And... I, I will say that if you go back and you watch a lot of Parkinson when he's in there on run reps, he's been damn good as a run blocker. Fant, not so much. And I don't think there was the expectation that Colby would be as much of a run blocker. Right. So I think he's probably the most improved. I mean, it, obviously with Fant, we didn't have him on the team last year, so you don't have that, uh, that gauge of improvement. But uh, Colby's been good. 
been good. And Fant's been fine. He's been fine as a blocker. It's not like yeah. Fant's Jimmy Graham out there trying to block. He actually throws a few blocks. And he's really effective as a pass-catching tight end, as well as Parkinson. Tight end group has been an absolute bright spot this year. And I don't know if... Is Fant up after this year? Or does he have another year left on his deal? I think he's got... I think we have him for a minute. Fant is signed through 2023. Okay. And then he's an unrestricted free agent. All right. So another year of Fant after this, unless he holds out. Yeah, another another year of Fant. We've got Disley under contract. Uh, the only one, I guess, Colby. Oh, no, he's through 2023, too. So all As three of them under contract next year. Yeah. That's sweet. There's a position group you don't have to focus on a ton in the draft. And I think I'm okay with that. I'd rather go heavy on defense and interior offensive line. Maybe the receiver, like you were talking about, that you're coming around to that idea yep. somehow. Yep, I was that, wrong about that. Yep. That seemed kind of weird. Yep. We need that. Well, the one way I can get on board with it is if the receiver that they pick actually plays special teams and can return kicks and punts, then absolutely spend a first or second rounder on that person. But I think you're you're to the the mind that Tyler Lockett is closer to the end of his career than I believe he is. Mm, okay. And maybe that's just me um, wanting it to be that way. I understand. Yeah. I I don't know that it's so much that it's because he'll get to a point to where he really can't play. I think it's more just his frame. He's going to have a hard time taking the pounding for five more years. Like, I, I think it's another two to three years of Tyler of like peak mm. this, this version that we see right now. I don't know. I, I feel like he plays so smart about it. Like he's found that sweet spot. Whereas in the beginning of the year, yeah, maybe he went down a little bit too early in some cases. And you heard people kind of get on him about it a little bit. So he probably heard it from fans a little bit. He probably even heard it from coaches a little bit, but then toward the end of the year, I, I feel like he is, He's tried to pick his spots more. True. He's taking some shots this year, man. Yeah, or unnecessarily, like, rap on the sideline. I know. I know. You shouldn't have to take a shot when you're going, when you're running literally out of bounds and the ball is right there. Yeah, you shouldn't have to take that. Shouldn't, but he did. And that's the thing. Like, we didn't think that Baldwin was done when he was done. Yeah, I think there's other stuff that probably went into Baldwin's decision. I don't really know what his injury situation was. I don't know. I started listening to a, a really great interview with him uh, by some Seattle podcaster who's... Oh, I, guess, I think it was Adam Ray? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'd never heard of the guy before. He puts together a really nice show, though, and the interview was good. Yeah, I think Ray is a, a comic and a Seahawks fan. That sounds right. Because he did promote his comedy tour. But I, he doesn't just do football. It was a good interview. I, I listened to about the first third, and I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of it. I listened to the part where Doug was talking about his concern for Russ. and I don't know that I got that far. Okay. He, it was just a, a clip about how you know he doesn't talk to Russ as much as he would want to. Oh, yeah, and yeah. yeah. He's concerned about just how this year has been tough for him, and he could probably use somebody to talk to. Yeah, you've heard that sentiment from a lot of his offensive teammates, really. I heard Marchand kind of talk that way. Now you hear Doug talking that way. I mean, 
Yeah, it's a little little sad. Sounds like all the other guys communicate more once they're away from each other. It sounds like the relationship that a lot of these guys have with Russ now is more the abnormality than the you know normal right. situation. Yeah. But it it also sounds like everybody is really open to him being part of being a bigger part of that group. So in that sense, it's good. Like that door is open. Right. It's not a situation where they're shutting him out for any type of reason. They've all made it perfectly clear. Sounds like he hasn't really reached out. But then again, he's in the middle of a really tough season, too. So we'll see how those storylines develop over the offseason, because I think he's going to repair a few of those relationships. And I do think he's going to be a lot better next year. I really do. Yeah, and I don't think you'll have Pete Carroll trying to turn the screws as hard in the uh, on the media side for him because yeah. I that, I think that that played a part of it. I I know that nothing would come out about that, but I think Pete was trying to make it hard, knowing that we would get a draft picked out of the deal. Yeah, and uh, he's trying to make John Schneider's job easier. Continuing with our members of the flock, Jason Bonner came in with $60 via Venmo at Hakra. Jason Bonner, the second place winner of the Ring of Honor Facebook uh, Fantasy Football League. Oh, he came in second in the in the Fantasy League. Yeah. Yeah, I think he lost to Bloomy. Like, I wonder when Bloomy was born, if like the horseshoe was already up his ass or if like he had it surgically implanted when he was of legal age or how that works. He's one of the most charmed human beings I've ever come across. And I'm not mad about it. I just want to know that he knows that he's that charmed. And Jason says value for value. Yep. 60 bucks from Venmo. Thank you, Jason. Jacob Wilson in at 1212. Welcome to the flock to Jason. Yeah. All the Jasons. Yeah. Back to back Jasons. Here we go. Ronan VA in at $36 for the year. Welcome to the flock to Ronan VA. Heck yeah, man. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's Ron in VA. That that, that sounds a little more normal. That, that sounds it, it's a it's a lowercase I, so it looks like Ronan. Oh. Which which is also a cool name. It is. But Ron and VA makes sense to me. Okay. Stephen Kirkpatrick comes in with the $19.16 donation for the Seahawks. Rams win says four more score donations this season. Yes, please. Hey, I love the optimism. I'm in it. If, like I've said, they can just get past this game. They can just get past this game. Who knows where the ceiling is for this team? And they can keep having fun with it. Absolutely. And look, there's a lot of fun ways to have a good time with this playoff, man. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the cool part about the other shows that they were talking about earlier in, in one of the emails there is just, you know, you get a lot of cool discussions in what if that way. And then in the PNW prop stars, like there's lots to talk about because you start talking about the odds of, well, if they win this game, then they could go all the way. Or what's your hedge bet? Like my hedge bet, I want to bet somewhere that Tom Brady is going to the Super Bowl this year. Like he'll physically be there? No, as if him and the Bucks go. Oh, you want to hedge on the Bucks actually making the Super Bowl? Think about it. The Vikings are a fraud. They have a negative point differential. The Niners have young Tom Brady that you're not sure if you're really all in on the Purdy experiment through the playoffs, right? Playoff Purdy. We'll see. We'll see on that one. The Eagles. I, I just, 
I just don't believe in that team. I just don't. I, I feel like they've been a little fluky. The Giants are no good. There was ever a year for Tom Brady to like rally for the one more. Here it is. It all sets up perfectly for that old bastard. Like, <laughs> I take a $10 flyer on Brady goes to the Super Bowl. You, you can probably get a sense of it too, just from the Super Bowl winning odds. Um, yeah. I don't want to bet on him to win because I think the AFC team is no. winning this year. No, but it's plus 2,800 right now to win the Super Bowl. Where do we find the... Oh, I guess we would look up NFC champion odds, wouldn't we? Oh, that's how you do it. I couldn't figure out how to find it the other day because I was looking for it. Okay. According to uh, BetMGM, they have NFC championship odds at plus 1,000. That's not bad. That's tidy. That's bet 10 to win 100, right? I think it'd be 10 to win 1,000. Oh. I don't know. I have to always do the calculator. <laughs> well, shoot. The Seahawks with the lowest odds of everyone at plus 3,000. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, they are the seventh seed. Yeah, they are, but they have a better record than the Bucks. I guess. They I, I also guess the lost Bucks the at least Bucks. have a home game to get started with. Right. And like I said, they lost to the Bucks. Yeah. And plus, Brady's looked pretty good. Or at least last week, him and the receivers were clicking. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. 170 for the Eagles, 190 for the Niners, 550 for the Cowboys, 1,000 for the Bucks, 1,200 for the Vikings. That seems too high. 2,800 for the Giants and 3,000 for the Seahawks. So, uh, you were right. If you were to bet $10, that's $100 in your pocket if Tom Brady wins the NFC Championship game. It's not terrible. It's not. I got to come up with some uh, bangers here for tomorrow, Brandon, because I don't know exactly how many dollars I'm behind Wilson and the total money, but I need I need a good one to overtake him because he hit on one big one this season, and that's like <laughs> basically the only reason that he's ahead of right. Me. Yeah. So frustrating. Oh, was that the special teams touchdown or something crazy? Yeah, whatever it was. It was something nonsensical. Like, <laughs> good luck. And like me winning my Phil Mary this week by predicting overtime. Like, it was nonsensical. There's no way I should hit on that. But you did. And that helped you catch up to his nonsensical one. Yeah, I, I think I made up like eight bucks because he, he had the same bet as me. Yeah. So that, that sucked. And he, not only that, but poor sportsmanship. I'll have to get into it with Wilson on Prop Stars. If you're not listening to that show, it's fun. There's a lot of shit talk. But basically, I made the bet about Matt Gay making at least two field goals. And he came around with his next bet and made the same exact bet. That's poor form. It's <laughs> poor form. Have a backup bet and go with that. Oh, so you're not allowed to. You don't think that your fellow competitors should be allowed to uh, to stick to a bet that maybe maybe if they got it all set up before the show. You need to have yeah. extras just in case somebody else takes yours. I always have one extra just in case. Mm -hmm. Now, there's been weeks where we've doubled up on the same bet in the past, and I'm fine with that. But we're down to the nitty gritty where we're trying to make up ground here. And so the one way Wilson could win for sure would be steal all copy your bets. every bet that I make. <laughs> yeah, I think it's dirty pool. 
That's some Princetonian uh, backstabbery right there. Yeah. Well, I suppose if we did the Pick'em League that way, just put out everybody's picks in advance, then that would be the surefire way for, I don't know, Kalispell MT Hawk to finish at the top of the standings because... There you go. Yeah, he has 178 points going into the playoffs now. One point ahead of second place. I'm just here so I don't get fined. And well, Pete said we were awesome. And then in fourth place, sole position there, Charles Cross will make you jump. Make it a late season push. Holy smokes. I don't think I've mentioned Charles Cross will make you jump here recently. Yeah, that's a... That name hasn't popped up when you've been reading the standings here. So the late push by the the Rook. Love it. And then in fifth place, there are six teams all at 175 points. And no, Barry, I am not going to allow you to pick against the Seahawks in the playoffs. Just because you're a Commanders fan, you don't get any kind of leeway once we get to the playoffs. And now we have somebody... Uh, watching over the playoffs to make sure that uh, nobody steps out of line here. Absolutely. We even have an email from Evie saying, I was going to say, do not, do not test Evie with uh, the wrong bets or the, uh, the wrong picks. You know better now. Oh, before we get to Evie's email, Bayou Hawk, the winner of week 18 with 15 picks. Correct. That's impressive. That's super impressive. Yeah, the only person to pick 15 games correct this past week. And Bayou Hawk did it without incurring the wrath of the Pick'em Protector, Evie. So, you know, it's legit. Evie says, Dear Pick'em League underlings, I have compiled a list of all, as dad calls them, dirty, rotten cheaters. But as he spends yeah. his life telling people we shouldn't publicly shame people, we reprimand in private. So please don't read their names out. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. We know who they are. Evie, now. Yeah. Uh, your, your dad, uh, technically that is correct, which is the best sort of correct. But uh, I do appreciate that. I have the names here just in case, because yeah, maybe, maybe I will shame them. Um, especially, well, we'll see how things go in a private email. Yeah. She says, Dad's very excited that the Seahawks made the playoffs. He was shouting so loud at the TV on Sunday night, or was it Monday morning, that he woke me up. Thank you for reading out my emails and allowing me to be Pick'em League Overlord. It winds Dad up when I tell him I will take points off his score. Yeah. He says, I have to finish my email with Go Hawks. That's right. Love, Evie, the Pick'em League Arch Overlord. <laughs> absolutely i love my pick em, uh league arch overlord thank you evie uh i think we'd be a little lost without her we needed we needed a hammer because we're both a little too nice about things sometimes and evie's the perfect one well the other thing i like about this is in many of the weeks where people have picked against the seahawks and then it counts toward their points I've gone back and I've rolled their picks back to correctly pick the Seahawks. And so they don't get points yep. for that erroneous pick. Evie went back and picked out the people who picked against the Seahawks in the week that the Seahawks won. Oh, and so I have okay. that list of these 
people trying to get ahead, but then I couldn't roll. I, I don't, I don't change their pick if they're wrong. Right. It only, right. it only counts against are, you to punished. pick against the Seahawks. Right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So you've got now the complete, complete list. Yes. And then we have Hugh coming in at Lloydzilla out on Twitter. Also, father of the Pick'em League Arch Overlord says, I can't say how lucky I am to support two teams in the NFL. One, an absolute disaster who traded their franchise quarterback away, who are only going to win three games max this season, who whiffed on so many draft picks it's unreal, who will be starting a joke of a quarterback, who insists on persisting with an old coach with his old-fashioned ideas, and that has the worst roster in the NFL. I mean, man, who would support that team? But I do. As a bonus, I also support a side that has a winning record, reached the playoff, mm-hmm. swept yeah. last season's Super Bowl champs, has a quarterback who has set pretty much every franchise passing record this season, candidates for offensive and defensive rookie of the year this season, two 1,000-yard receivers, and a coach who inspires his side and probably deserves to be named coach of the year. And we should only get stronger with multiple top 50 draft picks. Now that is a side to get excited about. Oh, wait. They're the same catfishing team. So catfish you, media. Catfish everyone on social media with an opinion who doesn't understand what the Seahawks are all about. Catfish the lambs, shards. And when we beat them in the playoffs this week, catfish the whiners too. What a season. One that has been such an amazing one to be a Seahawk and to literally flip the bird to everyone who wrote us off. Go Hawks from Hugh. Go Hawks, Hugh. I don't need to do my do better now. That was exactly what I was going to say. I swear to God. Uh, Hugh's totally on it. Yeah. Catfish. All those guys who counted us out. Like, screw them all. And their crappy narrative that they painted about this team that none of us really believed. We we all thought there's more talent here than three wins. But no. All we got to hear all offseason uh, was the narrative of how depleted of talent this team was. And uh, yeah, so Hugh summed it up. Of course he did. But you know what? I in the, At the end of the day, I still had things to say, like Catfish! all the Priscos of the world, all those assholes at USA Today that t- said we'd only win three games. Everybody who decided that the Cardinals and the Rams were going to be better than us this year, along with every other Catfish! team in the league. It is so Awesome to see Pete Carroll stick it all right up their stupid asses to see John Schneider look like the most genius GM in the entire freaking league after the Russell Wilson heist. It's all amazing playoffs, top five pick, having my cake, eating it too. I'm loving it. And to everybody who doubted all the talent on this team, Catfish. you and do better. Well, I'd go right into my do better too. I also have an email from John Davison, but what the heck? Let's do do better too. My do better is for the people who constructed that stupid stadium down in Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium. Not only is it a place that houses one of the worst teams, well, actually the worst post-Super Bowl team in NFL history, but Mm. they couldn't even build it correctly. They... They had rain recently in Southern California, and I know that maybe people who construct buildings there 
aren't used to the idea of sometimes water comes from the sky. Apparently, they didn't take that into account for the construction either because SoFi Stadium, it was raining so much here this past week that it was literally leaking through the roof of the stadium. A billion dollar stadium. A five billion dollar stadium. And they couldn't make the roof sealed to the point to where it did not allow leaks through the roof. Not only that, not only that, they didn't, there were multiple injuries of people walking out of the stadium because they didn't design it in a way to make the cement not slippery. So people were walking and slipping because of the amount of rain. Never once, never once have I had to worry walking down the ramp or anywhere in the Seahawks stadium (laughs) that I might slip and fall. They did not think to lay the cement in a way that actually makes it so it's not slippery. No texture. On top of that, the college football championship was there this past week. No tailgating. No tailgating at SoFi Stadium. For all that, people who designed and currently run SoFi Stadium do better. That's atrocious. Like, they literally did not factor in one of the weather conditions that happens on the planet Earth (laughs) when they... When they built that stadium. I mean, even if you built that catfish in the middle of the Sahara. You, you might want to think about it. It still rains there once in a while. Uh, you might you might factor that in. Yeah. And not only that, but put some texture on the concrete. How hard is that? Not hard. Five billion dollars. Five billion dollars. Give me a break. I built I built the addition onto our little cabin for $2,000. And guess what? It's freaking solid. It doesn't leak. It's actually watertight. And I'm an idiot. I'm not even an engineer. And I have to think that the permitting process for these sorts of things and the building codes for these sorts of things are pretty strong in California. Yeah. And so whoever did the inspection on these efforts, I think they messed up too. Yeah, they must have. And what? None of those engineers in Southern California have ever heard of the sign slippery when wet? (laughs) Like they've never seen that one? Come on, man. That's pathetic. All right, so before we get into Better at Life, John Davison emails in. He says, well, we made it, and no one was more surprised than me. But sit back and let the bard tell you a lovely story. On Saturday, it was the third round of the FA Cup, an important day for football in England. It is a knockout competition, and the winner goes to the final at Wembley. People on your side of the pond should Google it. Anyway, my team, Newcastle United, drew Sheffield Wednesday away. We were allocated 5,000 tickets, and all the Geordies traveled down on Saturday for the game a distance of about 110 miles. We were given the Leppings Lane end, as the English fans are segregated for safety reasons. We were all in there, so we could sing, Adam. It's great, honestly. (laughs) On getting there, we couldn't find a pub the police would let us in. So we went into the ground early. We managed to grab a couple of pints under the stand in a ramshackle bar. Clutching my beer, I was stood next to two Newcastle fans and started talking to them as we were all one family when we go away. To the first bloke, I said, squish the fish, as he had a dolphin's hat on. And to the second, go Hawks, as you've guessed what he was wearing. He was gobsmacked. I was a Seahawks fan and we started chatting. He was at Wembley for the Raiders game, but I told him about Barry and I at Washington in Seattle. 
Now, I asked him about how he got his information, and he said he never missed a thing called the Sea Hawkers podcast. And he was gobsmacked even more when I told him that you two were very good friends of mine. I then, yeah. <laughs> I then asked him about the email section and had he heard of the Bard, a.k.a. John Davison. He said he heard every week and told me about how the Bard was from Northeast England, like we were. I then said, how do you do? I'm John Davison, a.k.a. the Bard. Wow. When he was triple gobsmacked and we had a great half hour talking before we went to our seats. The point of all this is that this is what the ethos of the podcast is all about. Lads, if you're listening to this, then away the lads and send the show an email to confirm my story. Trip yeah. was a treat for my birthday, and guess what? Why? Newcastle got beat two to one, of course, and we drove the 110 miles back home thoroughly pissed off, but I think you'll agree it's a great story, and I knew I had to tell you about it. Cheers and go Hawks from the Bard. Yeah, so what you take away from that story is that John's kind of a big deal. Like, that's what you should take away. But the funny thing is, is that he experienced a moment that I've always kind of thought, well, maybe one of these days, you know, I'll bump into somebody that listens to the show that doesn't know I am who I am. Right. It'd be like, that's doesn't know who I, you know, who I am. Right. I'm not trying to say it like that, but you know what I mean? It'd be like, Oh yeah, no, that's actually me. And have some fun with that moment. Uh, the closest that I ever got, I think it, I was with you in Seattle and there was a Seahawkers podcast sticker on the gas cap flap of a taxi. And as we're getting in the car, I'm like, this is going to be fun. Like, I can't wait to screw this guy. Like he obviously listens to the show. He's got the sticker on the car. Like it's going to blow his mind that it's us. Nope. He never listened to the show. Somebody else put it on there and it kind of was an anticlimactic moment. So I've been waiting for that kind of moment. And here it is. John has it way before either one of us. It's really fun. So yes, to John, for you being podcast famous, you are better at life than Skip Bayless. Oh, wow. And see, look, I, I, one of the things I like about this show, Brandon, is that basically I didn't know this is the way it was going to go, but I used Hugh as my, for my do better. He did all the heavy lifting for me. Yeah. And then you just used John for your better at life. And he did all the heavy lifting for you. We, we were very lazy this episode. Yeah. Well, I, I actually got to my better at life. I was realizing uh, early uh, because when I was talking about taking credit for yes. uh, the, the, the Lions win, I realized that that was actually my better at life. And so we could, we've done this long enough that we can change things on the fly. And when I realized yeah. that, I, I figured that John had to be my better at life. I mean, yep. I totally yep. had John planned as my better at life going into this show. He was not my well, fault. He was not my fault. John, you were my fallback better at life. Right. Why wouldn't you have uh, John penciled in there? Because he's clearly the biggest star of the show. Yeah. He's an international star. I think he's probably got multiple better at life's anyway, because I know that he's made the, I know. the fishing lures for the show. That probably earned him a better at life in, in one Those of these flies past sweet. 397 episodes before this one. Yep. True fact. He's been with True us fact. long enough. He should probably have four or five better at life's. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Me too. I haven't kept a tally, yeah. but I, I bet you he's gotten one every hundred shows or so. He deserves one. Yeah, it sounds about right. Well, man, 
I, I had a similar conundrum with my better at life because I also wanted to give it to Motor City Dan Campbell and all those boys in Detroit for playing so hard and helping us get into the playoffs and all that. But we talked about it we quite a bit. probably should. Like you said. Yeah, we, 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 we could give it to him. Oh, okay. Because I, I was going to audible, but yeah, we can just go here. Yeah. To the king of kneecaps and clawing and scratching and just grit. I love the way that Dan Campbell coaches. I love the way that those Detroit Lions players have responded to him. I think they're a great feel-good story. And I could see why people maybe wanted to see the Lions more than the Seahawks because they haven't been there forever. You know, it's just it's just tough on them. But those guys that went out there, they played hard. They made Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, basically cry out on the field. That was nice. Nothing like seeing Aaron Rodgers walk off the field for the last time with Randall Cobb. That was a good time too. Go host some Jeopardy, you ass. Catfish. I I I love the Lions. Thank you for getting us into the playoffs and for doing it with uh, some style too. So Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions, better at life than Skip Bayless. See, I like that. I, I like recognizing the Lions to to help close the show because they they do they deserve it and they close the deal. They close the deal. They close the deal with Rogers, just like we close the deal with McVeigh. Uh, yeah. There's some there's some symmetry there. I like it a lot. I like it a lot too, man. And man, playoffs, Brandon. Playoffs. Saturday. We don't even have one of the great things. See, I think that the the NFL scheduling lords did us a favor, making us the first game of playoff weekend because this is great. We, I don't have to wait all weekend. Yeah. It it takes it feels like it takes so long when you have to wait until you know the evening game on Sunday and and basically yeah. you're you're one of the last people to watch the playoffs. We don't have to wait. We get the first game right out of the gate. Heck yeah, man! Because oftentimes, like two out of those three games before, something squirrely happens and then you start to get extra nervous. All that stuff. Don't have to do any of that. We get it right out of the gate. We get a win into a wide open NFC playoff picture that's what's going to happen i'm trying to speak it into existence and i think with that there's only one thing left to say go hawks go hawks